welcome to Crew. We are. So, my name is Jordan Engel. For those of you who don't know me, I am a senior chemistry teaching major here. So I am actually going to talk to you all tonight about the crucifixion of Jesus, what he endured and what he went through so that he could pay the price for our sins. I am going to start by saying this. Later on in my talk, we are going to be showing a video of the crucifixion. I do want to give this disclaimer. There were obviously no video cameras back then. So please keep in mind that this is an interpretation of what happened. It is... Um, based off of historical knowledge and some things that are written in the Bible, but obviously it is a artist interpretation. So before I go any farther, I wanna take some time to pray for us, so please bow your heads with me. God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight and to learn about you. God, as Easter is coming on Sunday, we know that you worked miracles, that you defeated death, hell, and the grave so that we could spend eternity with you someday. And God, we thank you for that. God, I pray that as we talk about this tonight, as we look at what you endured, what you overcame, so that we could spend eternity with you, so that we would not have to endure it, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to receive the message that you have for each of us, so we can learn the victory that we have in you. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. So before I go into the crucifixion, I want to talk a little bit about why it had to happen. So obviously sin entered into the world at the fall at the beginning of the creation. But there are some things that alluded to the crucifixion earlier in scripture that I want to talk about. Things that were fulfilled during the crucifixion, little details that were written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. In Isaiah 53, we find one of these prophecies Isaiah says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before its, she its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor any deceit in his mouth. So... Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before Jesus was even born what he would go through. So we are going to look at Matthew 27. And Matthew, the passage I'm going to be using from Matthew is a long passage. So we are not going to take the time to read through it all. But I really encourage you, before Sunday rolls around, to take the time to read from Matthew 27.11 through 28.10. Those are the verses that I and Nick are going to be covering tonight. So we are going to start with the process of condemnation. So in Matthew 27, 11, we see that Jesus has already been turned over to Pilate. During this time, the Jews were celebrating the, the festival of Passover. And during this festival, it was tradition that one of the prisoners was to be released. So Pilate confronts Jesus and says, 
He was accused by the chief priests and did not answer, are you the king of the Jews? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. So Jesus has not kind of rebuked the charges that have been against him. Like it says in Isaiah, he did not contest it. Then Pilate brings Jesus and Barabbas before a crowd. He says that he asks which one of them they want to be released. And they say, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And so he releases Barabbas. And they say, he says, what do you want us to do with Jesus? And the crowd shouts, crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate asks again, what do you want us to do with Jesus? And again, they yell, crucify him. In that moment, Jesus was taking Barabbas' place. Jesus was taking the punishment that Barabbas was supposed to endure. But in that moment, he was also taking our place. He was physically taking Barabbas' place. But what would happen next would take our places for all of eternity. So let me dissect the process of crucifixion a little bit. So historically, crucifixion was considered to be one of the most brutal and shameful forms of execution at this time. Crucifixion in Roman times was so brutal that it only applied to slaves, disgraced soldiers, Christians, and foreigners. Very rarely was it ever used on a Roman citizen. That is how severe this punishment was. In addition to that, the Roman guards could only leave the site of the crucifixion after the victim had died. So they would take extra measures to ensure that the victims would die quicker. They would stab them with a spear. They would break their legs. They would build a fire at the foot of the cross so that their victims could not breathe. Let's look at the specific things that we see Jesus endured during this passage. So in the passage of Matthew, we see that Jesus was flogged, that he was stripped of his clothes, that a crown of thorns was placed on his head. And let me emphasize, when I say crown of thorns, these thorns were three to four inches long. And not only was it placed on his head, it was shoved down into his head so that it would penetrate not only the scalp, but sometimes the skull. He was mocked by the people, by the centurions, by everyone, while all of this was going on. After they mocked him, they actually took a stick and beat the crown of thorns farther into his head. So as if it wasn't painful enough, they just stuck these thorns even farther down into his head. And they whipped him to a point where his appearance did not even resemble that of a human anymore. The whip that they would have used or that they are thought to have used would have had pieces of bone and glass on the ends of it so that as they were whipping him, it was actually ripping flesh off of his body. In Isaiah 52, it says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Think about that for a second. His beating was so brutal that looking at him, you couldn't even tell he was human anymore. 
You couldn't even tell he was human. He was fully God and fully man, but you could not even recognize the fact that he was human. After this, they made him carry his cross up to where he was going to be crucified. He was barely alive. And they say, here you go, as if this isn't bad enough, here's the cross you're about to die on. We want you to carry that through this crowd up the hill. And then as he was hanging on the cross, he was stabbed in the side as well. The striking thing about this is that he endured all of this, but in reality, that cross was mine. That cross was yours. We are the ones who were supposed to endure that. We are the ones who deserved that. He did nothing wrong. He was sinless. He was blameless. But yet, just as he stuck, stood there and took Barabbas' physical place, he took ours as well. But in spite of all this, he shows mercy on the cross. In Luke 23, we see him say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. At this point, Jesus has been betrayed by one of his closest friends, has been beaten and mocked and tortured. And while he is literally hanging on the cross, taking his final breaths, what does he do? He asks for mercy and forgiveness for the people that are literally putting him to death, for you and I that placed him there, you and I, the reasons that he had to be there, he is saying, Father, forgive them. He is showing mercy. He is asking for mercy. He is asking for grace for us. I don't know about you, but if I had just endured all of that, I, would, I could care less about who was putting the nails in my wrist and the nails in my feet for the people that put me there whose sin was so bad that I had to be in this place. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't ask for forgiveness for them. But at the end of all of that, after being mocked and tortured, the beautiful thing is the Roman centurions and the governors and the officials realized what they had done. In Matthew 27, 54, it says, and when Jesus, 50 through 54, and when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. These Roman centurions who were trained to be afraid of nothing. They were trained to have no fear. To literally be fearless in the face of battle, in the face of other armies. And they were terrified because they realized what they had done. And I hope that you realize what we have done. We crucified the Son of God. 
It was our sin that crucified him. We crucified the Son of God. We crucified the Son of God. Nailed to that tree, 
beaten, broken, stripped, crucified. It should have been me. I should have to pay my debt for all time. That wasn't Judas's kiss. It was mine. That dark day, the people screamed, give us Barabbas. Pontius Pilate unlocked the prison cell. The sinner would live. The sinless one would die. And you whispered, forgive them, for they do not know what they have done. It should have been me. The Savior, unrecognizable, hung by his bleeding, nail-pierced hands, naked and unashamed, not a man from dust, but a man from heaven. Death scoffed and celebrated. Where is your God now? The God above all the earth, buried. The creator of my very lungs, breathless. It should have been me. Instead, I was the one that mocked and spit and whipped you, built the cross you carried on your back. I denied your name, denied your perfect gift, denied my sin. I sentenced you to my rightful punishment. You knew I would. Father, you knew the lamb had to be slain. You felt your son's pain. There was no other way. You could have wiped your people from the earth, but you chose death for yourself so that we could live to know you. The perfect sacrifice. You cried, it is finished. The veil tore in two, but the grave could not hold you. Three days later, you rose again. The very stone you rolled cries, Abba, Father. The death you died should have been mine, but instead you chose the grave so I could be saved. I was lost, but you found me. I was dead, but you gave me life. I was orphaned, but you call me daughter. I was blind, but now I see. You did it for me. Oh, death, where is your sting? My perfect king has won the victory. Hi, guys. My name is Nick Sigworth. I'm a senior biology major, and I'm talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ tonight. Sin. This is something that we kind of crave in our life. We push towards. We go towards. It calls us. This sin is what keeps us away from God, this relationship with God. In the beginning, God wanted us to have this relationship with him. He wanted us to love him. He wanted us to follow him. But sin, that called us instead. From the very beginning, we pushed God away as much as we could, and he still pursued us through it all. We see in Genesis with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when God told them not to eat the forbidden fruit, yet what did they do? They ate the fruit. The first sin of man against what God wanted, their creator, our creator. To Jonah, being told by God to go to Nineveh, but instead he went the opposite direction, thinking for himself. What does God have to know about me? Even in the disciples' lives, 
the men who followed Jesus, who said that they would die for him, said they would go through all ends of the earth to follow him because he is the son of man. But where were they when Jesus was crucified? Where were they when their savior was killed? Even in our own lives today, we do the same thing. Sin is all around us, whether that is through lust, being greedful, prideful, lying, deceitfulness. We do it all the time. We want it's what's good for ourselves without thinking what God has already given to us. But even through all this, God pursued us. He didn't just turn his back on us. He chased us. He wanted this relationship. Personally to me, when I had a friend back in middle school and high school that kind of was like a bully to me, I tried my best to reach out to him. I tried my best to make God's better, but it didn't work to a point where I turned my back on him because I couldn't take it anymore. But what if that's what God did? What if he turned his back on us from the very beginning? We deserve it. We don't deserve a relationship with God. We don't deserve to be in heaven with our creator, our father. We desire other things that we think that's greater than him. But God knew at the very beginning we would mess up. He knew temptation would jump in. For God gave us a special gift, that gift of free will. He gave us this free will because he wanted us to love him unconditionally. And without free will, love is not true love but we abuse this gift that God gave us. And we might think of like what is love these days, whether that's in a relationship, friendship, anything. You love a certain sports team, you love this, and we could even claim that we love God. But this love is nothing compared to how God loves us. In 1 John 4.10, it says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an astounding sacrifice for our sins. That God loved us so much after we pushed him away, did our own thing, sinned, that he still wanted to sacrifice for us, to have a relationship with us. And I know that video we watched is hard to digest. It is a very gruesome video of what we did to Jesus, what our sins caused Jesus to go through. But guys, the story does not end on that cross. The story does not even end in that tomb that Jesus was put in. Death was not the end of this story. So right now we're going to look into Matthew 28, 1 through 10, which is a recount of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, went and looked at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, 
He has risen from the dead and is going, in, going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet still filled with joy, and ran to his, tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So in these few verses, looking over the resurrection of Jesus, we will take a look at um, the reality, the reaction, and what does this mean today for us about the resurrection of Jesus. The reality is simple. Jesus is dead. Jesus died on that cross as a man. He was a human. He was like us, but sinless. We killed him through our sinning. The women, who was Mary Magdalene and Mary, Mary Magdalene was a woman that followed Jesus around when he was doing his preaching, and the other Mary is Jesus' mother, went to the tomb. It is unsure why they exactly went to the tomb, but most likely it's for paying respects, kind of like what we would do with relatives that are in a cemetery. So the reality for the women is that Jesus is dead. The Lord that came to earth died and is in that tomb and staying in that tomb. So they were shocked and confused when an angel came and rolled the stone and said, Jesus is not there. Because the reality was they saw Jesus die. They saw their king crucified, tortured, put in that tomb, and the stone rolled shut. But the reality is something far greater than what we thought, and that's Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. The reaction is kind of obvious here. Everyone is fearful. Um, like Joran said, the Roman soldiers were the most feared soldiers in the world. They're fearless. And right there, they saw, they saw the angel when we're afraid and we're like dead men. They saw the glory of God, something so great, in front of them. They knew they crucified someone, but now they realize who they crucified. It was the Son of God, not just some man claiming that he knows God, claiming that he is the prophet. But this was the Son of God, Jesus. The women were also afraid, and that's when the angel said, do not be afraid. For Jesus is no longer in this tomb, but he rose from the dead, just like he said. The promise, Jesus tells us, God told us, that we will be raised from the dead through his son. Those still shocked, they ran with joy, knowing that what they said came true, that Jesus is alive. And when they saw Jesus, they fell down to their knees and worshiped him because he conquered death. So what does this mean for us? Death is no more. Sin has no sting. We have a victory like no other, and nothing can compare to this. Jesus, who performed miracles, who helped others, we killed him. But God's plan was something far greater than Jesus doing miracles on earth. His idea was he wants that relationship with us. That before Jesus came, the only way to get to heaven was sacrificing lambs, doing sacrifices for God to please him while sin was still a hold of our lives and always defeating us. 
But God wanted that one last sacrifice. He got the last say and let Jesus be that last say, his blood. We have the opportunity to have this relationship now with God, something that we never could have dreamed of. We don't even deserve it for what we have done. But God loves us so much that he lets it happen. This isn't the only time we see a resurrection in the Bible. Probably the most notable one other than Jesus is Lazarus. Um, If anyone doesn't know about the story of Lazarus, um, he was just an average man in his family, and he got sick and ended up dying when Jesus was in the area. Uh, The family confronted Jesus and was kind of like, Lord, why weren't you there? If you were there, Lazarus would be alive. They knew the power of Jesus. They knew who he was. But Jesus, you weren't there. He's dead. Jesus walks into the tomb by himself, and he comes out with Lazarus after a couple days of him being dead. The first resurrection we see. But this isn't like a resurrection like Jesus. This was a temporary resurrection. For yes, he is alive on earth. But is earth really a full life thing? Or is it temporary? He was raised from the dead on earth, but sin was still there. He was still not able to fight death, for he still couldn't have a relationship with God. But this resurrection with Jesus is something far different. This is a full resurrection, a complete resurrection, the last resurrection needed to have this relationship. For we know when we die we can have this relationship with God. We will be resurrected in heaven right by the throne of our, our Father, the one we intended to need a relationship with. But this love wasn't from us. Nothing we can do could ever get this relationship with God. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, his son, as a sacrifice. That no matter what we do, no matter where you are in life, whether you think you've sinned so much that God will never even look at you, whether you never stepped your foot in church, whether you never opened your Bible, Those are works. For none of that would ever get you to heaven regardless if you do them all. But the only thing was God's love, that love greater than everything else, that he sent his son to be that sacrifice. By grace, we are saved, not through our works. What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What if he wasn't resurrected? What would our faith be? What would Christianity be? Are we really worshiping a God that comes through on his promises? In 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 17, that we might have, yes, where it says, but if it is preached that Christ had been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ had been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him 
if in fact the dead are not raised. For it is the dead, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now I've had to read this like 15 times because it's like the biggest tongue twister. Um, I kind of see it as like you're writing an essay that has like a, a word require a word count, and you kind of repeat stuff throughout the whole thing. But there's a reason the Bible is doing this. There's a reason it's written like this for how important it is about Christ's resurrection in our lives. For if the dead are not rising, and it's not like zombie rising, by the way. It's like spirits rising and going to heaven. But if the dead are not rising, then surely Jesus did not rise because he's supposed to conquer death. But if Jesus rose, the dead have to rise because he allowed that to happen. In Acts 2.24, going off of this, it says, But God raised him from the dead, releasing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for him to be held in the clutches. Simple as that. God conquered death. We put him there. We thought he was going to stay there. But no, God borrowed that tomb for three days. So for people in this crowd that, you know, might not fully understand what this means to them, what this love of Jesus means, or have a relationship with God, I'm just so thankful that you came here tonight. I am glad that you took the time out of your night to just spend time here. And just know that this relationship is not hard to get. No matter where you were in life or where you are now or where even you going to be, Jesus loves you. God loves you. For if you see in the Bible, we pushed him away so many times, not even non-Christians. We have a disciple who killed Christians before he came to be a disciple and know Jesus. Nothing as far as you can go can keep you away. But having this love is so simple of just saying, Jesus, I need you. Now, if you're a staff member and crew or a community group leader, can I have you raise your hand and keep them up? And for everyone else, can you just look around? These are great people to talk to if you have questions about your faith. Whether you think, whether you're a strong Christian or you never accepted Christ, these people are a great resource. And we also have a number you can text to ask your question as well if you're not able to talk to one of these people right there. And for those who have accepted Christ, for those who accepted the knowledge that God put Jesus here on earth to die for our sins, and then he died and was in the grave for three days, this is a time to rejoice. This isn't the time to be sad, to be sorry. But guys, Jesus conquered death through God. We can have a relationship with God, and nothing will change that. Just like Lazarus was temporary, Jesus' resurrection is complete. Our resurrection is complete through Jesus and Jesus alone. If salvation was based on our own efforts, we would all be doomed. Because we don't follow what God wants us to follow all the time. But I, myself, am glad and grateful that God I serve a God that meets me where I am but loves me too much to leave me there. 
this story is not over after death. That God borrowed the tomb for three days and Jesus conquered all sin. We are alive because Christ came alive. This is our victory. Will you please pray with me? Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day. I just thank you for this time and this knowledge of knowing that we can have a forever relationship with you, that you've given all for us. Lord, I thank you that we're able to preach your name on this campus, that we are free to preach it. And I am just so thankful for all those who have come here. I just pray that you let everyone know your love that you have done for us and that you'll never leave us behind. You'll never push us away, but you'll keep chasing us through anything. Lord, I pray for anyone traveling for Easter weekend. I just pray for safe travels. And anyone staying here for Easter weekend, I just pray you just give them a nice restful weekend before uh, the end of the semester is coming up. Yeah, we love you, Lord. Thank you so much for what you've done on the cross. But more importantly, what you did after the cross. In your name we prayed. And all God's people said.